The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. This is your forum for exploring and discussing challenges that are faced by public and nonprofit leaders. And now, Leadership Matters. Welcome to another edition of Leadership Matters, the show that aims to support the leadership development of current and future public and nonprofit leaders. Each episode is designed to inform leaders and inspire solutions. I'm Tom Wall, and I'll serve as moderator of our discussion today. I work with the Alliance for Strong Families and Communities and for the Strategic Change Initiative. We work together to help organizations to strengthen and transform themselves to assure a successful future. With me today as our guest panelist is my good friend, Andre Howard. Andre, would you please introduce yourself? Yes, thanks so much, Tom. Glad to be here. Andre Howard from the Alliance. Uh, and we are in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, beautiful Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and I'm responsible for our center and leadership uh, here at our National Operations Center. So again, glad to be, be here with you, Tom. Good to have you here, my brother. Today, Andre and I are proud to have with us three very special guests. Each of our guests have successfully participated in the Alliance's Transformation Project. With us today are Diane Schultz, CEO of the Babyfold of Normal, Illinois, Bill Colson, CEO of the Children's Home Society of South Dakota, and Annette Rodriguez, CEO of the Children's Shelter in San Antonio, Texas. It's great to have you all with us today. Would Glad to be you, here, Tom. Would you please introduce yourselves and tell us just a little bit about the work of your organization? Diane, would you go first, please? Sure, Tom, I'd be happy to. Again, Diane Schultz, President and CEO of The Baby Fold. Uh, the Baby Fold is a nonprofit agency serving children and families in central Illinois. Um, we specialize in prevention, uh, mental health treatment for children, youth, and families, and intensive special education services. Um, I've been working in the not-for-profit uh, field since about 1983 as an administrator. Um, I've been in an administrative capacity at the Babyfold for 24 years, uh, supervising and leading the intensive special education uh, program area at the Babyfold, and just finished my second year as CEO. Fabulous. Bill, would you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about the work of your organization? I sure will. Thank you very much, Tom. My name is Bill Colson. I'm Executive Director of Children's Home Society of South Dakota. I first became involved with our agency as a volunteer back in about 1989 and then uh, joined the Board of Directors for Children's Home Society in 1992. Uh, served on the board until 1999, at which time I sold my business and was asked to join the staff at Children's Home. Uh, I was at first uh, a development associate and then became COO in 1980, or excuse me, 2003 and CEO in, in uh, 
2009. Uh, we are a PRTF, Psychiatric Residential Treatment Facility. We have 115 beds in South Dakota in two different locations that are about 350 miles apart. We serve youth uh, ages 4 to 14 years. We also have a full-time school at each location. Uh, we support statewide therapeutic foster care, statewide adoption partnership with the Dave Thomas Foundation, Wendy's Wonderful Kids. We provide foster parent training to our own therapeutic foster families and also state families. We have a 40-bed domestic violence shelter in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Uh, we have a child advocacy center and forensic interview facility in Rapid City, and uh, that is endorsed by court systems, law enforcement, child welfare. Uh, public awareness and education is our new focus. We've been doing that for about a year and a half now. We're excited about the possibilities there, and we support uh, victims of domestic violence. We also have a Bright Start Nurse Family Partnership Program and a dedicated 501c3 foundation that supports our work. Very good. Thanks, Bill. Annette. Well, thank you for having me. I'm Annette Rodriguez, President and CEO of the Children's Shelter. I've been working with my organization for 19 years. I actually started as an admin assistant right out of college and then 13 years later became the President and CEO where I've been um, in this position for the last six years. Uh, we are a locally based organization and we started off as an emergency shelter for children and animals, if you can believe that. Um, over the 100 years, we've evolved into a multi-service organization that serves children and families in our community. We have both residential programs that include an emergency shelter, a residential treatment center, uh, foster homes, and our community-based programs include what we call our family strengthening programs, programs that work with parents, and also a mental health facility working with children who've been abused and neglected and suffering from the trauma of that. In total, we serve about um, 5,000 participants each year. That's wonderful. Thanks so much, all, all three of you, for your introductions. Each of you has participated in the Alliance's Transformation Project. I want to ask you, why did your organization apply for membership in the project, and what were you hoping at the beginning to get out of your participation? Diane, let's start again with you. Uh, well, Tom, we um, at the Baby Fold uh, had been uh, recent members joining the Alliance, um, and we had been using some of the Alliance materials, uh, disruptive forces, and the Ten Commitments to really begin to understand and digest the, the change that would be impacting our service sector. And uh, getting, um, you know, having that added insight as we were working on our agency strategic planning process. And when I saw this opportunity for the transformation project, I thought, holy cow, uh, what a great way to tap into um, some information uh, and, and more in-depth on this topic of transformational change and to have uh, resources for uh, strategic plan implementation and, most importantly, learn from other CEOs and organizations who are going through similar uh, circumstances and situations. Beautiful. Thanks, Diane. Bill. Well, I agree with everything that Diane said. Um, our motivation really was, you know, we've been in the residential treatment business now for about a half a century in one form or another, and we've recognized since the beginning that really children belong at home. Children belong with their families. And so as we've been thinking more about that and as we've noticed that funders are trying to shift emphasis away from residential facilities 
toward more family-focused work in their homes, um, we knew that we had to make a change. And then one of our senior staff members one day sent me an email that uh, he had received about the alliance and about the residential change cohort, and it just seemed like a great thing for us. It seemed like a natural progression for us, and we're preparing ourselves to work very hard to accomplish that. Excellent. Thanks, Bill. Annette? Very similar to what we heard Diane and, and Bill say. Um, for the Children's Shelter, about six years ago, we took a head dive into trauma-informed care and tra- trauma-sensitive care. Um, and in that journey, we were learning about what it took to be trauma-sensitive for the children and families that we were serving, rethinking the way we were doing things and modifying the way that we were doing things. And in that process... Um, recognize that children belong with families, just like just like Bill said, and we wanted to work towards integrating our services. We had we have great community-based services where we're already working with families, but we weren't doing a very good job of integrating those services with the children that were coming into our residential care. And so when we saw the opportunity with the Alliance to be part of this cohort, we thought that this might be a vehicle that we could use to get us there. Fantastic. Can each of you offer a summary of what you believe the Alliance's Transformation Project is trying to help each of the participating organizations to accomplish? Diane, you first again. Um, I would summarize it by saying that I think this project is designed to uh, help our organizations uh, be informed and prepared to really embrace a future of change in our service sector, and I think most importantly, how can we as leaders engage our staff in uh, that process and support our uh, staff through that transformational uh, journey? Excellent. Thank you. Bill? Well, I'll tell you, uh, the most significant thing for me really has been connecting with smart people like you, Tom, and like you, Andre, and also with CEOs from all around the country that are experiencing the same challenges that we're experiencing. I think we're all understanding that we need to go in a direction toward more community-based work, working more closely with families in their homes. And what better way is there to learn all about that than dealing with people that have got the experience under their belts already? Beautiful. Annette? Yeah. For the Children's Shelter, uh, it's helping us create a network of support for our children and families. It's moving us into a model of true integrative care, both internal to our organization um, and also external, so that we're expanding our partnerships to, to see where are our internal gaps and where can we fill them with partnerships. And also just to um, echo what Bill and, and Diane uh, mentioned, that having the, the expert knowledge from the alliance, like you and, and Andre, um, to be able to guide us and be able to talk through some of those challenges has been very, very beneficial. Excellent. Thanks. In, in your opinion now, why do you think that most all human service organizations are looking at the question of transformation. Why do you think that all human service organizations, to some extent, have to transform? Diane, your thoughts? I think that the that the um, our funding um, entities, uh, are, you know, many of which are primarily governmental uh, funding entities. 
uh, are expecting uh, some different uh, systems for doing business. I know here in Illinois, they are even trying to create uh, some different types of, of systems at the state level that will encourage uh, and reinforce uh, more community-based care, more family engagement, trauma-informed, many of the things that are outlined in the Transformation Project. But I think also that, that our families are uh, demanding uh, some different ways of uh, being more a part of uh, treatment planning processes and uh, more engaged in uh, treatment, not only for their child, but for the entire family unit. Beautiful. Bill, your thoughts? Yes, absolutely. You know, both funders and other stakeholders know that they're interested in paying for outcomes. And uh, while we might think an outcome resulting from a child having a successful stay in a residential treatment facility is a positive one, it still is not a permanency outcome. And so I believe both stakeholders and funders are looking for permanency. And truthfully, that's what we've been looking for all along, too. So it seems like a natural course to follow. Um, We just have to hope that the money will begin following children and families and not program specifics. Very good. Thanks, Bill. Annette? Again, I I echo some of the same sentiments that Bill and Diane mentioned. Um, Some of our funders are asking the tough questions there. They are simply asking, with all the money that we've put into certain areas of our community, whether it be child abuse or permanency for children in foster care, why is it that we haven't moved the needle? And so those are great questions to ask. And so I I do think that by them asking those questions, we are forced to look at the way that we've been doing things and don't have uh, a choice, but we have to transform. If we want to see those outcomes, we have to change the way we've been doing business. Outstanding. Thanks so much. We have to take a short break. Please stay with us. We'll be right back. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. White. Her email address is drwhite at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. If you are in the sales field or maybe don't even know that you are, you need a plan to be successful. Every day we are engaged in business and don't even realize that it all comes down to sales. We all have something to say and need to motivate others to the same way of thinking. Sales Execution Optimization, the new SEO, is the show that gets you thinking and speaking whatever the product or service. Host Bill Bush will give you the tips you need to succeed. Listen every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Business. Does your organization lack proper leadership? 
We're not necessarily talking about experience, but about how to face the changing dynamic of leadership today. Sometimes the people we lead know more. Old ways don't work anymore, and the comfort zone just becomes too easy. Listen for Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. We'll show you how you can adapt and develop your leadership skills to today's workplace. Every Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to leadershipmatters at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. We're back. I'm Tom Wall, and with me is Andre Howard, and our special guests today are Annette Rodriguez, CEO of the Children's Shelter, Diane Schultz, CEO of the Baby Fold, and Bill Colson, CEO of the Children's Home Society of South Dakota. Before the break, our guests were offering some thoughts about the Transformation Project, sharing why they applied, and what the project is trying to accomplish. The Transformation Project asked each of you to select three driving force goals that you would use to build the skills and capacities you decided your organization would need to develop over the next three years. What goals did each of you select to work on, and why did you select those goals? Annette, could you go first for us, please? Absolutely, yes, thank you. My first goal was to rethink staff training and support. And my team and I landed on that because we strongly believe that the staff is the secret sauce. If we're going to be successful, then our staff needs, they need to have the tools and the resources to be successful. And so we thought that that was the first great place to start, make sure that they have what they need so that we can have the impact that we want to have in the community. Our second goal was to reconsider all treatment approaches. We wanted to examine our delivery of services. We wanted to make sure that we weren't prescribing to the old philosophy of doing for the client or doing to the client, but rather that our treatment approaches were prescribing to the philosophy that we were doing with the client. Um, and I don't know that we were, we were there yet. Uh, before we started the residential transformation. So we were examining, we wanted to examine all of our delivery services, our treatment approaches, and we also wanted to make sure that there was a true connection between the staff that was delivering the direct care and the tailored uh, treatment services that were being created. So making sure that staff had a voice in the creation of the treatment, but also in helping them, giving them the tools that they needed to be able to apply that treatment approach. And so that was our second one, reconsider all treatment approaches. And last, um, but certainly not least for us, was to engage families and promote stability. We felt that we were missing opportunities here. As I mentioned, we have both residential programs and also community-based programs, but the two weren't meeting together. We were doing great work out in the community with vulnerable families, but we weren't truly engaging the families of the children who were coming into our residential care, and we thought that we needed to, to change that. And so our third goal was to engage families and promote stability. Good job. Thanks, Annette. 
Diane? Um, we um, focused on uh, one goal area that had us looking at our programs and services and how we were really engaging uh, families uh, in uh, the treatment planning as well as delivering more things and more of a community-based in-home uh, model of service. We have about an array of about 14 programs at the baby fold and they range uh, from some of our prevention services that are totally community-based and in-home service delivery to some of our uh, on-campus residential programs that really did not have as robust of a family engagement and in-home service delivery model. So we're holding ourselves accountable for really looking at that uh, family and uh, in-home delivery model in all of our programs. Um, so that's been a fun one uh, to work on with staff. Uh, another area that we looked at was just our uh, the trauma-informed uh, work that we were doing with kids. We've been on that uh, trauma-informed treatment journey for a few years at our agency, but really felt, again, that some of our programs were really um, ahead of the curve in terms of the robustness of the training and the knowledge and skill set of, of particular departments and that we really had other departments at the agency that were were lagging behind where we wanted them to be in terms of trauma-informed care and treatment. So, uh, again, we're developing some assessment tools and looking at how we can implement more comprehensive training uh, across all of our uh, staff departments uh, and up and down throughout the organization. And the last area that we picked, uh, which really was one that we received feedback from our uh, staff workforce group uh, that they wanted to see in our plan, which was looking at how we were fostering adaptive leaders and adaptive leadership within the organization and just a real need that many of our supervisory staff and second-tier um, assistant managers and, and department directors felt that they needed more training and more tools in their toolkit for how to support staff uh, during a time of high change and just provide some ad additional leadership capacity within uh, our, our next tier down from, from CEO and executive leadership team. So those have been our three areas of focus. Good job, Diane. Thank you. Bill? Well, for me, as I was looking at this together with um, – the board president that was with me at our first meeting and also our COO that was along, uh, we started looking at that and then brought things back home and started talking about what do we really need to do to prepare our agency to make change. And I have to say, as I'm sure is true with Annette and Diane both and most of the other agencies that we've dealt with, we're very proud of our staff. They've done an exceptional job in everything that they've been challenged with. But still, change can be very difficult. So our focus was, let's do what we need to do to prepare ourselves for change. And so goal one was really develop and maintain an organizational culture that's ready for change. I thought that would be pretty simple because our people are invested <laughs> in what they do, and, and I thought knowing that permanency is really what we're after, this is going to be a no-brainer. We may talk about that a little bit more later, but that was maybe one of the most difficult things that we had to accomplish. 
Second was to train, develop, and support our staff in family-focused, trauma-informed, evidence-based care. Um, that's something that we've been doing some of, uh, but we're doing more and more of that now, recognizing that funders are going to expect that either the practices that we employ are either evidence-based or potentially evidence-based. So that was number two. And then number three was to offer opportunities for increased family contact or home-based care and support families, birth kinship families, foster families, and adoptive families. And we've made a lot of progress in that area as well. So feeling good about it. Fantastic. Good job, all three of you. What's proven to be the most challenging part of this transformation effort for you and for your organization? Annette? For us, it's been putting it into practice. Um, we have conceptualized it. We've absorbed it. We understand it and acknowledge it. But making it, making it second nature in our work has been difficult. Um, and that's something that we have to, to work on every day. And it's something that we're actually looking at. Uh, how can we um, increase our probability of making it happen more and more each day? And so, for example, when we have ch a ch child come into the emergency shelter and a family member comes to visit, it should just be automatic that we make time for that family and consult with that family and offer um, other services that we have as part of our organization to help support them. And it's, it's hit or miss right now. And so, again, it hasn't become second nature yet, but we're working towards that. So putting it into practice has been, has been challenging. Good. Thank you. Diane? Uh, I would say uh, just how to develop some of our internal uh, communication tools within the agency to sustain our conversations with staff um, about our different change initiatives and the progress we're making. We, we developed uh, some project teams and work groups that certainly had engaged cross-departmental teams as well as teams that were made up not just of supervisors and on up participants, but direct service staff as well. Uh, so we really tried to be mindful of getting, uh, you know, participation across and up and down the organization. Uh, and that's been pretty successful. Uh, but it, it's how do you continue to sustain the conversation and communicate across the masses? And we've experimented with some different things, but still feel we just don't have the, the perfect mix we'd like to have to keep that um, conversation and communication going around our initiatives and our progress. Good. Very good. Bill? Well, clearly, um, prying people out of their silos has been challenging, and it's been challenging because people have been offered praise for the work that they've done. In our residential treatment programs, for example, we've been doing that for a very long time. Occupancy remains very strong, in fact, nearly full at both campuses. And uh, recognizing that, nope, we've got to break away, we've got to figure out how are we going to transition to more family-based work that's family-focused rather than child-focused. That's been a huge challenge for us, understanding um, that it's my job and my staff's job to convince people that change is necessary and change is good has not been easy for us. Understood. Thank you so much, Bill. Now, in order to prepare for the future, we all have to find ways to change our organizational culture. I'm going to ask each of you to share with us what is the most important thing that you've learned that it takes 
to change an organizational culture? Annette. Yeah, for us, one of the lessons learned through this process has been, um, you know, we need to get the staff who are in the trenches, the staff who are directly involved with our children and families, we need to get, get them involved as early as possible. What we did is we, uh, my strategic committee and I, who's made up of my senior team directors and program supervisors, we got together around the table and we helped create the blueprint that was submitted to the alliance as, as, um, as one of our, one of our work projects. Um, and then afterwards we came back and rolled it out to the rest of the staff and did the town halls and did focus groups. And boy, we were blown away because um, we were learning so much from our our frontline staff, things that we hadn't considered or thought of, um, and they truly helped shape and inform the revisions to the blueprint. And so, um, and and had total buy-in now that they saw that we were taking their voice into account and their thoughts into account. And so, um, I think my mistake there was not getting them involved early, early in the process. And I think that's that's key for any big change that you want to make to the organization or to the culture. Thank you so much. Diane? Um, yes, we, I, we would, uh, I would say, Tom, that we really um, probably need to spend more of our time in some of these smaller groups uh, with our staff, uh, more face time, I guess is what I would call it. Uh, doing some more of that reflective thinking and conversation. We've used some of the uh, thought progression exercises, which are, are in the toolkit for this transformation project, and, and they really have been impactful, but I think we need to devote more time uh, to doing uh, that kind of conversation uh, in small groups uh, and, and just having more transparency uh, with our staff up and down throughout the organization um, in terms of how we can continue to support them uh, as in their thinking and the evolution of their thinking as these changes are being implemented. Beautiful. And finally, Bill, your thoughts on this? Well, it's, uh, it's perseverance, really. And the, the reality is, too, that, that we are working, as Diane said, with small groups trying to engage them. We share the Tuesday thoughts that you send out every single week. We talk about them in depth. Um, people are starting to grasp that this is a place where we need to go. This is a place where we want to go. And uh, our, our culture is evolving. It absolutely is evolving in the right direction, I believe. Beautiful. Well, we have to take another short break. We'll be right back. Please stay with us. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. White. Her email address is drwhite at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House 
House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. If you are an investor in gold or mining, or if you are thinking of investing, you won't want to miss the Mining Stock Report with Christopher Haugen. When investing in precious metals or mining, there are risks, as with any investment. But there stands to be some great rewards if you know what to look for. That's where we come in with mining experts, CEOs, geologists, and more. The Mining Stock Report airs every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time and 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to leadershipmatters at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. We're back. I'm Tom Wall, and with me is Andre Howard and our special guest, Bill Colson, CEO of the Children's Home Society of South Dakota, Annette Rodriguez, CEO of the Children's Shelter, and Diane Schultz, CEO of the Babyfold. This third segment is when Andre Howard, Vice President of the Center for Leadership at the Alliance, talks with our guests about change leadership. Andre, what leadership questions do you have for our guests today? Oh, thanks, Tom. I really am enjoying the conversation so far. Um, so I've got a couple questions. As we think about the, the type of leader that's needed to undertake some of the uh, transformational um, projects and, and actions that you folks have done, how would you describe uh, the leader that would be best uh, for, for, for such a transformational change uh, effort? I mean, in terms of characteristics, uh, values, um, personality even. I mean, how would you describe that leader uh, who would be best positioned to undertake such transformational change? So I'll start with uh, you, Bill, first. Well, from, from my perspective, and I think from my staff's perspective, you need a leader that's compassionate. You need a leader that is available and open to conversation about absolutely anything. You need a leader that gets out amongst them, if you will, uh, to be a part of this transformation. It can't be an expectation that you don't lead by example. And so in my experience, which started as an officer in the military and then in my own business, um, I've learned more about true leadership, I believe, since I became involved in child welfare than in any of the other places I've been, any place in my life. And uh, I'm so thankful for the opportunity. I feel good about the way things are going. Um, I try to evolve as a leader based on the feedback that I get, not only for those from those staff that work for me, but also from our board of directors and, uh, and my spouse. So that's the way I feel about leadership. Excellent. Very good. How about you, Diane? Um, I think it, I think there's an advantage if if a, a leader is not averse to change. Um, sometimes one of my blessings and curses, maybe, of my leadership style is that is that I really like change and variety. 
but I think an, an, another characteristic um, that is that you also have to be a good listener. Uh, for example, in my case, because I embrace and really like change and variety, I, I sometimes just assume everybody else feels that way. So you really have to be able to, to listen and um, be self-reflective about what others are saying uh, about their experience or their concerns uh, relative to organizational change. And then I would, I would also echo the sentiment about being uh, accessible to staff or visible to staff uh, to have those conversations uh, about change and, and where we're headed in a very transparent fashion. Excellent. Very good. Thank you. Annette. Right. Um, again, echo everything Diane and, and Bill said. Um, what I would add to that, I think one of the things that's important for a leader to have in today's times, and in particular in our sector, is someone who's not afraid of shared leadership. There's just so much to do, so much to accomplish, and in such a short time frame, it seems that leaders can't realistically do it all. And so we need to trust our staff. We need to empower our staff to, to, to take on those jobs. Um, we need to be responsive. And, and, um, and sometimes we just need to be the cheerleader to cheer them on as, as we move forward. So I think a, a shared leadership is, is something that leaders need to be comfortable with in today's world. Sure. Thank you. Excellent. Very good. You know, we often talk about population level changes in the sector, uh, and the efforts that you folks have done are, have been very powerful. Uh, but for the naysayer on the sideline that says, you know, does this really make a difference at the end of the day in terms of changing children, lives for the better, and improving families and better communities? How would you make the case to the one on the sideline who may be the naysayer and saying, hey, you guys are doing some great work, but at, at the end of the day, this uh, change you're talking about, this durable change that you hope to achieve, really will make a bit of difference. How would you respond or what would you say to someone like that who's pushing against what you folks have done uh, within your own organizations? Diane, I would throw it out to you first. Well, I, I think and, and I would believe um, uh, a basic premise um, of many staff in the social service field is that basic belief that uh, children aren't standalone entities, that they they are uh, part of a family unit and, and families are a part of a larger uh, uh, community network. And so if, if you embrace that premise, then I think it just logically follows that that you have to really look at kids in the context of a family, uh, whatever that family uh, constellation may look like. But you need to look at kids uh, as in the context of a family and and engage that entire unit as a part of what that what that future uh, and quality of life is going to look like. Uh, and then likewise, it would follow that, that as you have stronger uh, families uh, and strengthened families, that that is going to translate into communities that are strengthened as well. So I, I think anyone who is truly being honest, and many of us here have been in this field for a long time, I think we all have seen the situations where in our very controlled 
uh, highly supervised uh, therapeutic environment, we can make gains with individual kids. And we've all seen those situations where kids leave that uh, intensive uh, environment and don't sustain the progress that they've made uh, as well as we would like to see. So, so I think it's it's needing to look at that child uh, and what what they're really needing to do in the context of a of a family unit and the community that they they will be living in. Absolutely, excellent, very good. Annette, how about you? How would you respond? You know, it's tough when you're talking to to naysayers because um, they usually bring a personal narrative to 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 the discussion, and so I would try to connect with them on a personal level and try to connect with them um, and try to see if there was a time in their life when they had a challenge or they had a difficulty and explore with them what helped them get through that challenge and get through that crisis and then make that connection that whatever that thread was for him or her, that that's what we are to the children and families that we serve in our community and that he was lucky to have had that, but some children and families don't have that. And if we can be that thread, if we can be that strength, then we can make an impact and hopefully we can connect on that level with with that person. Excellent. Very good. Bill? Andre, that's a great question. You know, I I think we have to take on some of the blame for some people feeling like, you know what, parents are bad people. Some parents are just not good people. We've been talking about how uh, children are abused, neglected, and that's why they come to us. That's why they're in our residential programs. And even some of our board members that have been around for a long, long time, as we start talking about reuniting kids with their own families or reuniting them with a kin family or a foster family or an adoptive family, the first thing out of their mouth is often, well, you've got to be so careful because there are a lot of bad people out there. I mean, you hear stories about foster care just about every single day. And so, really, our focus has been to talking in, with, in talking with those people is, just understand where does a child really belong. And the reality is, and we all know it's the reality, children belong in a family. Now, that doesn't mean that every biological family is a great place for kids. It's not. But sometimes it's not that they're abusive or neglectful. It's that they don't know how to parent. So what can we do to help them parent? It might also be, and Tom said this many, many times in my presence, how about those people that just have so many other things going on in their world. They're either impoverished or they don't have enough food on the table or they don't both have jobs or they both do have jobs. And how do you manage children in your family? And, uh, I mean, the problems that are out there that need to be solved by us are immense. And we need to convince the naysayers that those are all things that we need to accomplish in order to ensure that kids are where they belong. And that's at home. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Very good. You know, our revolutionary model that we have been using here at the Alliance is really focused on a lot of different things. I mean, the ultimate goal is to create uh, durable, long-standing change um, uh, and systems change and making sure that, uh, you know, what we accomplish at the end of the day counts and is relevant and is impactful. Part of our model talks about this emotional aspect that leaders have to, to deal with. I'd be interested in hearing your take in terms of were there any um, insights in terms of the emotional aspect of your team as you went through this, 
um, in terms of pushback or in terms of, of, of people who perhaps had a different uh, thought about how they should approach things and it didn't, uh, you know, perhaps agree with everyone else. Uh, talk about the emotional aspect of, of, of change as you think about it from a leader's perspective. So, Annette, let me throw that out to you at first. The emotional aspect of change. Thoughts on that? Yeah, no, that, that, and that's a great that's a great question. I think everything that we do has an emotional aspect because we are working with with families and we are working with children and everyone in this organization and everyone in the sector they bring with them their their perceptions, their opinions, their thoughts, their own experiences and what they think will work and what won't work. And um, you know, then you've got the different the different disciplines. You've got therapists and social workers and, and psychiatrists, and so they've they're they're bringing their um, their expertise to the table and and what they've learned. And you know, some of these things like trauma informed care and the residential transformation that we're that we're doing. And, and Bill touched on this earlier. Uh, you know, the the thought that the apple doesn't far fall far from the tree in terms of when we start working with families of children who've been abused, abandoned, and neglected. And so there, we did get pushback in on, on several levels from, you know, from the activities that we're wanting to implement to the, the change of being more engaging with families and more accepting of families and um, working towards reunification with families. And what we did um, at the children's shelter was work through those those challenges by discussing and having conversations and, and doing having town halls and giving examples of success. And so some individuals or many indivi- many of our staff got on board um, and there were some who didn't and have, have chosen to leave the organization because they didn't fit that we were aligned with their values and that's okay. Um, so, you know, we, we do our best. We try to align the new thinking with our with our staff. We give them the platform to talk it talk it out and we talk talk with them and 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 try to come up with compromises if, if possible um, but at the end of the day there may be some that it they just can't see themselves making those changes and will will leave right absolutely bill our work is so much about emotion it absolutely is I mean just imagine you know you get a five-year-old that comes to your facility and he's uh, in a facility because there's no place for him to go. There's not a safe home for him at the moment. And when he tells his therapist, you know what, the only real friend I have is my dog, that's a pretty emotional thing. And another time when a child is ready for discharge, but we don't think they're ready for discharge, and the child doesn't think he or she is ready for discharge, and he or she is hanging on to the therapist's sleeve and saying, please don't send me back there, but they have to go, that's emotional. Yeah. So that impacts everybody in our work, that impacts our staff, that impacts our board, that impacts our children, that impacts our families. We can't function without it, and um, we have to learn to take advantage of it, especially with funders. I mean, yeah. funders respond to emotion, no question about it. Okay. All right. All right. Absolutely. Great. Diane? 
Well, the the uh, situation in our agency uh, here at the Baby Fold was certainly impacted with lots of emotion um, because we uh, had been wrestling with um, financial sustainability of our uh, residential uh, operation uh, for several years and knew that we were reaching a tipping point. Um, and uh, so we had made the difficult decision to downsize our 28-bed residential program by half. Um, and, and it was really uh, a shock uh, to the organization, uh, even though there had been you know, multiple conversations uh, from our prior CEO, my predecessor, as well as uh, department managers and myself about, uh, you know, the the rates being frozen in our state for 10 years and the impact that was having it. I think it was just something that organizationally and culture-wise, people, staff at the Babyfold never thought we would be in a position to have to make that decision about downsizing, and um, I, I am glad that we did it in a way that that uh, did not disrupt kids' treatment programs and allowed a natural progression for children to leave and step down uh, and move out of as they completed their their treatment, but um, so there, you know, the, the anxiety uh, sure. and the uh, instability that that presented in our workforce at the agency uh, was pretty significant, which was now being paired with these change initiatives. Uh, And there just is a lot of uncertainty in our state right now um, with funding streams to support social services in general. So... So I think it, 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 that is all accumulated in a lot of emotion. Uh, and again, I think going back to a statement I made earlier about just making sure that we're providing the opportunities and uh, for uh, reflection and conversation and question and answer uh, with our uh, workforce is important. And really helping our staff develop some self-reflective skills uh, just in terms of their own uh, emotional reactions to to change. Absolutely. Excellent conversation. We have to take our last break. Stay with us. We'll be right back. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network leadership matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. need to improve leadership staff or organization performance contact InnoVisions today for quality effective and affordable leadership staff and organization development training coaching and consulting services call 858-244-8264 that's 858-244-8264 or send an email to dr white her email address is dr white at innovisions.org InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the neighborhood house association of san diego california funds raised go to support the neighborhood house association's mission developing children families and future leaders of our communities through empowerment education and wellness 
Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to leadershipmatters at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. We're back. I'm Tom Wall, and with me is Andre Howard and our special guests, Annette Rodriguez, CEO of the Children's Shelter, Bill Colson, CEO of the Children's Home Society of South Dakota, and Diane Schultz, CEO of the Babyfold. Before the break, Andre was discussing change leadership with our guests. In the fourth segment, we like to ask our special guests if they could share a few things with the field so that they can, in effect, offer advice to fellow practitioners in the field. And we always ask our special guests on this show to share with us some mistake that you have made in your career that helped you to learn something that you probably would never have learned if you hadn't made that mistake. Annette, would you lead us off, please? Sure, I'd love to share my mistakes with you. (laughs) Um, One of the things that that I learned early on as a CEO, I've always considered myself a strategic um, geek. I love strategic thinking, strategic retreats and and processes, and just everything strategic I just love. And so um, one of my mistakes as a a new CEO is I, I wanted to control and be in charge of the whole strategic process, which was a huge mistake. I didn't get buy-in from my team. We weren't moving the needle in the performance measures that we needed to. And so I learned very quickly that I needed to restructure that and restructure our our strategic process. So now I've got members of my organization that lead the different goals, and I trust them to run with that, and they just report back, and it's working beautifully. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Bill. Well, Tom, as I said just a little bit ago, I make mistakes every single day, and you were present for one serious mistake, I think, last week in Pierce, South Dakota, as you were facilitating a strategic planning session between the providers of South Dakota and the state of South Dakota, both Child Welfare and Department of Corrections. And a question came up, um, actually a comment came up about a process that was being followed by state agencies, 
in uh, their effort to create a new system. And the system they were talking about was really in the correction system and not in child welfare. But I saw that the system that they followed in corrections could also be pretty easily followed in child welfare, one wanting to follow the other. And uh, as I was responding to it, I, I felt like I was being passionate in my response, but some of my um, coworkers told me afterwards that it seemed really like you were being a bit more combative than compassionate. So I, uh, I thought a lot about that, and it's not the first time that's ever happened to me. I just think my message to others in our position is just remember you're the face of your agency. People depend on you, and uh, think about what you're saying and how it's going to be perceived by those that are receiving it. So that's my message. Excellent. Thanks so much, Bill. Diane. Um, At the beginning of my administrative career, starting off in a program that was small and then went through a period of growth uh, where I needed to add some additional supervisory supports for staff and not recognizing that people who may be in supervisory roles may not necessarily be uh, natural organizational leaders. And likewise, you may have direct service staff Uh, that do have natural abilities and insights relative to organizational leadership. So I think making a distinction between a skill set to be a supervisor as opposed to natural abilities uh, that may exist uh, that would lend someone to being very useful in uh, organizational leadership roles or duties. And then lastly, just how do you provide training and mentoring opportunities to cultivate uh, leadership skills as opposed to supervisory skills? Beautiful. Thanks to all three. And Andre, thanks to you as well. That's all we have time for today. Our special thanks to Andre Howard and to our guests, Diane Schultz, uh, Bill Colson, and Annette Rodriguez. Uh, Please join us again next time when we get together for another edition of Leadership Matters. Thank you again for tuning in. Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White, Linda Schub, Gerald McFadden, Andre Howard, Tom Wall, and Rihanna Absar is broadcast live every Wednesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a wonderful week and make your leadership matter. Matter.